Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I love it. I yeah. love this question, but I know it's not easy. It's no, not I, easy. I, I think um, for me personally, it's, it's that the impact was made, that the, the outcome was improved, that it was better. I, you know, for me personally, leaving the world better than when I found it, uh, better than when it was handed to me, um, and also better for my children and my grandchildren eventually what a scary thought that is but um you know that that's the biggest piece is that you know we we leave it in a better place um i think for bre it's also uh that that thinking you know it's it, working for a, a 100 year old organization we have a long time horizon right. you know 30 to 50 years we're like okay we can deal with that you know and, and we yeah. move towards that and i think that that is also the um you know our our goal is to support a thriving, sustainable world and helping move towards that, whether that's innovation standards, w- whatever the case may be. And for BRE, it will be the satisfaction that the, the next hundred years are as impactful, if not more so mm-hmm. than the first hundred. Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast. Podcast. The show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 56 of the Placemaking Podcast. Can't wait to share this next conversation with all of you here today. Now, today on the show, I have Brianna Wheeler, the Director of Operations for Brian USA. Brianna became the Director of Operations in May of 2016 with a mission to provide a credible, rigorous science-based option for existing buildings to truly understand their sustainability performance, set a pathway to improvement, and to certify performance where there is value in doing so. Rihanna organizes and oversees the daily operations of the business, including the development and maintenance of the BRIAM USA technical standards. Now, prior to joining BRE, Brianna worked for nearly 10 years as an internal advisor on environmental and sustainability risk management for large multinational corporations and was based in London, England. Now in this episode, we take a look at Brianna's top strategies for achieving net zero carbon emissions in construction, common myths about sustainability certifications that need to be debunked, and how Brianna is different than some of the other sustainability certifications out there currently. There's loads of great information in this episode, and I greatly appreciate it, Brianna, for taking the time at a crazy busy schedule to discuss this topic of understanding the pathway to net zero carbon emissions in real estate with me today. Now, as always, if you have enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the show and share with your friends in this real estate industry. There'll be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. So without further ado... Let's start the show. Hey, welcome to the show, Brianna. Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to have you on the show. I, I've read a lot about your background and, and some of the, the main um, 
initiatives of your group and, and thought it'd be fun to kind of dig in a little deeper. So I guess to start off, can you give us a little bit about your background and where you started in this, in this journey, and then we'll take it from there. Sure. So, um, I started actually in the sustainability field around 2007. I was um, looking at the um, environmental sustainability for big corporations. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I worked for a couple of design and engineering firms, very internally focused. um, And I was living in London. I spent 10 years in London uh, initially. And then I moved back to the United States and um, started looking at real estate and sustainability, very specifically in the built environment. Um, and in 2016, I became the director of operations for BRE here in the U.S. Wow. Just curious, why, why uh, London? Uh, my partner is British. So oh, okay. I moved, yeah, so I moved there initially for, you know, for love as one does. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, um, it was a great move. And, and actually at that time, um, sustainability in the U.K. was really um, consolidating as a, as a proper profession. Um, there's a lot of... Um, you know, there's organizations that uh, support professional development in a really fundamental way. And so it was an exciting time to kind of have a, finally have a professional designation that kind of Mm. went with that. You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. just, I care about the environment. What does that look like for a job? It was like, oh, this is actually a profession in which you can get paid to do these things. How exciting, you know? (laughs) So it was a great introduction to actually thinking about this in in a business sense, um, and of course, the UK and Europe, it, you know, has been on the forefront of sustainability for a very long time. So it was a great place to kind of cut my teeth, as it were, uh, in the sustainability right. place. Right, definitely. Somebody that's uh, a little ahead of, of where we're at here at the, in the United States, uh, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I've been to London uh, just once, but it was, it was a very interesting and exciting place i'm sure you had fun there while you were there it was very Um, enjoyable (laughs) (laughs) perfect so let's let's bring this back a little bit further and uh what kind of brought this to your forefront as a passion was it just just the the idea of environmental sustainability as a whole and that kind of just bred uh some of these thoughts and, and led to this career? Or do you, do you know what the genesis of, of kind of your interest in this subject was? Sure. So um, both my undergrad and my master's is in environmental geography, and it was all about environmental studies as the impact of uh, and climate change really coming to the forefront, you know, and, and mm-hmm. not to try and age me a little bit, but, you know, when I was an undergrad, oh Lord, I can't even believe I just said that. But <laughs> when I was an undergrad, you know, climate change was something that was going to happen in the future. Right. And it was something we needed to avoid. Right. So, but it was quite theoretical and there were lots of folks still talking about, well, is this real? Is this not? Mm-hmm. And so for me, it became more about how do you take that theoretical and, and how do you start applying it in a really practical way? One of the very first um, key roles I had um, in my career was actually doing carbon footprinting for um, one of my organizations. And that was a real mm-hmm. eye-opener. How do you practically understand you- what your impact is and quantify it in a way that actually can be both informative internally to make decisions, but also how do you communicate that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time that, you know, and over time, I think we've seen this evolution where, you know, it's very much gone from, 
you know, um, it was acceptable for the methodology to be, let's say, loose, uh, you know, right. kind of a finger in the air, like, well, we think it might be around here to where, you know, the, the consequence of it is becoming a lot stricter. And of course, the correlation between that performance and, and business risk. And, you know, in, in my, when I was working for design and engineering companies, um, you know, I was looking at them as an organization, you know, and, and the beauty of that, of course, is when you're looking at organizations, you can, I mean, they can be doing anything. You're really just trying to understand what their specific impact is. Whereas with the built environment, it was very clear that buildings and, and the built environment overall have a huge impact, um, you know, that, you know, it's 40% of GHG emissions. That had a place for me that was really exciting because we could translate that once again to, to actual impact. How do we start driving forward to avoid the worst of climate change? And of course, over time, that's become even more important as we've moved from the theoretical into mm -hmm. the actual. We're experiencing it now. And I think, you know, in, in the early days of sustainability, when it was kind of seen as a nice to have, that was a little bit just, you know, discouraging because it was always like, well, do we need to do this? Whereas now, you know, the risks are so evident mm -hmm. uh, and becoming clearer every day um, that mm -hmm. that's really pushing again for action. Um, so it's a great space to be in, I think. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a little, a little nerve wracking sometimes, <laughs> I think when we're thinking about the consequence, but, right. but um, absolutely a place where impact can be made. Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head there earlier uh, several times, but when you, you were talking about, you know, back in 2006, 2007, maybe it wasn't quantifiable. There's no, nobody could really put a finger on what the impact was. And then as technology and science and, and there's, like you said, there's a dedicated field to it. Now. It's a real profession. All of those influenced uh, the availability, the ability, I guess, to, to quantify the impact. And uh, from there, you know, you've seen several other industries kind of blossom, um, you know, and organizations blossom to ways that you can uh, actually quantify these impacts and hopefully reduce them. Um, and let's, let's kind of transition that into where you're at now. And, and what you're doing right now with uh, B-R-E-A-M, Bream, can we, can we call it Bream? Bream is a formal title, I know. Bream, okay. We do sometimes refer to it as Bream in the U.S., but officially it is Bream, yeah. Bream, okay. Yeah. Well, um, so, so Bream was the very first green building certification program in the world. Um, and our organization uh, developed it because in 1990, when we launched and, and in the late 80s, when sustainable development was a term, right, there was literally nothing available that helped, helped kind of set what that meant for buildings. You know, what, you know, we can talk about sustainable development as this conceptual term, but how does that actually translate through? Um, so Brienne was launched specifically to provide a definition and a framework. And mm -hmm. you know, it, it probably helps to know that BRE, um, we're the building research establishment. Uh, we are this year, 100 years old. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, a building science research organization. So for a century now, we have been developing science-led solutions to built environment challenges. And that's the whole gamut. Um, you know, and that's everything 
you know, that's research, that's um, innovation, you know, services to the real estate and construction sectors, but also to governments around the world about the built environment. So when we developed Briam, it was very much about bringing that building science focus into play. And it wasn't so much even about, um, you know, just about green as such, right? Because sustainability meant so much more than that. Environmental sustainability, absolutely. But it also meant people and it also meant economics, finance. So our program was really developed to help deliver a solution. So, um, yeah, so uh, BRE is um, headquartered in the UK, but we have operational centers here in the US in China and in Europe. Um, and we're owned by a charity, uh, which is the BRE Trust. And their sole purpose is to support research and education on the built environment, including funding postgraduates in their studies. So it's very much a, uh, a profit for purpose um, kind right. of approach to this. But we were very dedicated to the science that sits behind buildings, to deploying something and, and setting standards that will deliver outcomes and focus on those outcomes um, and support our, our, you know, support the built environment, the real estate sector to really, um, you know, move forward and in solving these challenges. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you touched on a few, basically, uh, charging orders, three, three different kind of st- uh, legs of the stool, basically, you, you've got only, you know, you've got personal health and well-being, you've got the environmental health, um, and you've got financial or economic health, I guess, is a better way to put it. Um, so, you know, it's tough to, tough to balance all three of those. And um, it, it must be a tricky, a tricky issue for you guys to solve on, on how to balance all three to, to a positive outcome. So I guess the one I'm most interested in other than environmental would be health and well-being how do you how do you address health and well-being and while at the same time you know being able to address all all three items uh, and these are these are big <laughs> so right this is not a, a small challenge absolutely right. so so Briam has been developed as something of a balanced scorecard um, and one mm-hmm. of the big things about our program is that this isn't about perfection. This is about understanding how you get the best out of your asset. So what we do with the standard is we set what that looks like across all three of those, um, uh, those columns, right? Uh, you know, the economic, the, the health and well-being, and the environmental. And we focus on outcomes. So what that allows um, client teams to do is really find the best pathway to achieve all of those things and reward strategies that pick off multiple benefits, let's say, let's call them co-benefits, not always the easiest thing. But I think that's one of the the key things about sustainability. This this is not about perfection, right? Like we could focus on the, you know, 10% of the problem and miss the fact that we could solve 90%, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, So our program is very much about finding a balance and utilizing the framework to make better decisions. So starting with a baseline of where you think you want to be, let's say, and then using the framework to say, oh, okay, where can we do better? How can mm-hmm. we do better? And finding those pathways to, to ident- you know, to, um, for solutions that, um, you know, can solve multiple issues. So the way that Briam focuses around health and well-being, um, 
And this has been critical. I mean, health and well-being has been a part of our program right from the beginning. I mean, you know, 40 years ago, we knew about things like sick building syndrome, right? And we know too, you can develop really green buildings, really low energy that are absolutely miserable for human beings to inhabit, right? It's, <laughs> it's totally possible. So for us, health and well-being is at its core about delivering from the building perspective, delivering environments that enable healthy occupants. And that's really critical. We're not trying to influence occupant behavior as such. You know, this is all about how do you address the fundamentals that deliver that healthy environment, but also mm -hmm. manage your risk. Now that's a financial piece, right? There you go, a little co-benefit in there. <laughs> kind of we start blending in, but but all of this is, um, you know, from a health and well-being perspective, we're looking at the fundamentals around, um, you know, a broad range. So, you know, there's thermal comfort, obviously. There's acoustics. There is um, in our, uh, well, in all of our programs, we address Legionella risk, you know, which is something that often isn't talked about in sustainability sure. at all, or even about health and wellness, but that's quite a key one. Um, so we, again, bringing together all of these pieces, when we focus on outcomes, we really help the market find solutions that do this. So perfect example during the COVID times, of course, is early in the pandemic, there was a lot of conversation going on about the trade-off between energy efficiency um, and, um, and health and well-being. Mm -hmm. And for many, this is a zero-sum game. You either had health, healthy buildings or you had energy efficiency and there was very little ground in between. <laughs> and that was sad uh, because we can't have we can't have one or the other because the right. actually the impacts of um you know lower performing buildings and energy is that all that all that pollution goes out into our communities which impacts their health so really <laughs> we're sacrificing you know the the health of our community for the health of occupants in a building that didn't make any sense right and right. even as those conversations were going you know you could you could hear like kind of the mutterings in the background going wait a minute this just doesn't sound right well <laughs> fast forward we're now seeing innovations coming into the market that do both things. They are finding things that, for instance, that will, you know, clean ventilation systems, UV, but that aren't energy intensive. So mm -hmm. you can find a solution that actually doesn't require those much higher rates of ventilation because you've got another solution to go with it. Right. It took a little bit of time. I mean, we were kind of, you know, innovating on the fly, but for companies and, and those who are creating solutions who are looking for the co-benefits, who weren't just looking to solve a, a very specific problem and not thinking about those bigger things, you know, those companies are really um, going to do well out of this because again, mm -hmm. we have to think about all of these solutions in a really holistic way. And what are the knock on effects? We can focus on energy efficiency and really tight buildings, but we could also then end up damaging health and well-being. That doesn't seem like a good trade-off, right? And right. So, so Briam has been really about trying to make that a little bit more evident and trying to drive those solutions. I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's uh, that was very well put. I think it's it's tough to to balance all three, but when you do, you can find some efficiencies maybe in one or or yes. uh, you know there there's always solutions. I mean, you you gotta just you know if like you're saying, look at it a little more holistically, and and uh, you'd be surprised what you find out. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that's why I wanted to touch on health and well-being since the, the, the nature of the, the current environment right now is that's a huge, huge focus. And um, it's nice to see that coming up with solutions 
that don't sacrifice necessarily the environmental um, well-being as well, the, the well-being of the environment. So uh, thanks for touching on that. I wanted to kind of transition this a little bit more. You know, you said BRE has been around for a hundred years. Uh, Briam's been around for a, a long time still. 30, um, yep, indeed. 30 now, yeah. So how how is Briam different than some of the other sustainability certifications that are out there currently? Sure. So a couple of key things. One is the science base that comes with it. So we use science to develop the standard. It is what drives everything that we do. Um, the science, the research, the um, the data uh, is really telling. I mean, it's it's one of the reasons why you know, health and well-being was, um, you know, part of our program right back in 1990. It's one of the reasons why carbon emissions has been the metric of measurement in our standard since 1990, right? Because science told us that to address climate change, carbon emissions was really the metric that we were going to be using. So mm -hmm. the science base is, is really critical to that. Um, the second thing is probably around um, the the holistic nature, uh, as we've just talked about, you know, being able to bring together the three aspects, um, you know, not just green, but the people part, part of this, um, and also the financial value, you know, this is a really important aspect. So, you know, when we talk about um, the financials, you know, we're, or yeah, we're thinking really about the longer term value of the asset. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not just how, how sustainability or, environmental performance looked, you know, for the last 12 months or, it, you know, in the past, but how it's looking towards the future. How are you going to protect and maximize the asset value over the long term? And whether in construction, design and construction, that's about, you know, how do you ensure that the asset will be operated uh, as it was intended uh, through design, you know, through the handover process or whether we're, you know, um, in operations and it's about making sure that, you know, you're, um, you know, protecting the equipment and all these other aspects to it. Um, you know, the, that longer term value is really critical. Um, one aspect of course, around this is um, we've incorporated resilience into our standard uh, over the last year. And, mm -hmm. and while there's always been aspects of resilience in it um, for our in-use program, when we, when we launched our latest version uh, last May, um, we brought in a specific resilience category and that was very much about recognizing that climate change, again, wasn't something that was just happening or, you know, theoretical going to happen in the future, but was starting to happen now. So we really shifted our approach from being solely about mitigation to also incorporating adaptation. That's mm. very much about the financial kind of aspect, you know, looking to that future. Right. Did, uh, did, sorry to, to interrupt here, but did that come about based on some of the, the more recent findings about... <laughs> where we're at in, uh, as well as uh, in climate change as a whole, as far as uh, maybe pushing the needle, maybe it's, we need to start looking about how to adapt for, for this new future. Absolutely. So we established a core technical team um, in 2019, specifically to focus on resilience and how resilience was um, addressed throughout all of the BRIAM uh, family of standards. And it was really about making sure, you know, looking at that to say, okay, how, how in depth, what are we covering so far and what's, what's missing? There's also been a huge investor drive, of course, um, around, you know, the task force um, for climate related financial disclosures, the TCFD, 
um, and being able to understand, you know, the physical and transitional risks that come with assets. So the resilience category was very much about looking at kind of bringing this, elevating it, let's say, to sit alongside um, in the environmental performance metrics, you know, current operational energy and whatnot, um, and also the financials, the health and well-being, and really bringing it into the conversation as part of that balance. So, um, you know, we've always had aspects of it, but, you know, Bram was started in 1990 when this was, you know, theoretical, right? We were all looking at the avoidance. It's, um, it, you know, I mean, personally, it felt a little sad in some ways because I'm like, wow, we're not, we're not avoiding Almost anything defeated. at all. Yeah, yeah, like we are now yeah. moving fully into adaptation, and mm-hmm. and there is, you know, just from a business risk perspective, it's absolutely critical that we address it. So for us, having resilience as part of this is very much um, thinking about that future and asset value. Mm-hmm. But I would say the, the third thing that makes us different is around our verification. So our certification is delivered through um, third-party licensed assessors. So they're truly third-party um, to us. Um, we train and license them, but clients work with the assessors. Uh, they appoint them. Um, and um, we do a very rigorous quality assurance of um, their work. But it's really important because they go out on site to verify performance. And that's really critical. So when we're talking about design and construction, um, part of the evaluation um, is during the construction phase um, for the assessor to visit site to make sure that the final certificate actually reflects what was actually built, not just the design. Uh, we do a design stage too, where, you know, this is our ambition, but we recognize things happen in construction, mm-hmm. right? Things change, um, plans change, uh, materials aren't available as we've sure seen, do. you know, yep. in recent things. So this is all about the, you know, the having the end result uh, to be demonstrated. Um, and then in operations, it's the same thing around you know, just verifying that what we see on paper is actually what's seen at the at the asset. And that provides an additional layer of assurance um, when this is being either internally used for making business decisions or communicating to, to stakeholders. And it's one of the reasons why Briam is really the gold standard and seen around the world as, as, as credible and rigorous is because they know that it's been seen by, you know, a human being at the site. It also adds a lot of value, particularly in existing buildings. You know, we have a, a long tail of what we would call unique buildings. That's always the nice <laughs> term. And, and any chief engineer will start cracking up at that because no doubt they've, they've worked with a unique building here and there. But you know, right. it's those buildings that are just, you know, they're the result of design decisions made some time ago. They've got interesting <laughs> features and whatever. And it's really hard to explain that on paper, right? Mm-hmm. So having a person being able to come out, you know, a building professional who really understands it, that's really, um, you know, a, a valuable piece of the process. Right. Right. Uh, And I guess I wanted to speak on one thing that, you know, I see personally. So um, I deal with a lot of of private development. So ground up developers or, or um, even industries, various, various groups. And I, I I see that, you know, one complaint uh, I often hear is that maybe they're not, Maybe they're not holding the the uh, the building, the site, or whatever um, past once they get to lease up or whatnot. Um, you know, so they don't ever see the long term benefits of some of these methods. I guess what how how would you address that? Sure. So so buildings, you know, I mean, as we know, most buildings are now designed to be what fifty to eighty years of life cycle, right? 
And so, you know, we're, we're, right now we're, we're building assets that are going to be here when the 2050 mark hits and we need to be at net zero. So while it seems like at the moment the developers aren't, you know, gaining, gaining value in this, you know, how does this help? What they're doing is they're demonstrating that they're not selling on something that is going to have a built-in liability uh, or future regulatory problem uh, mm-hmm. into it. Or, you know, uh, it's reducing that risk, let's say. We never, mm-hmm. we never do absolutes. It's always shades, isn't it? All right, right. So, yeah. So we look at this as a way of saying, you know, where we're talking about, for example, um, you know, operational um, carbon emissions. Um, we know that there are jurisdictions right now uh, New York City is my favorite example of this through Local Law 97, you know, who are setting building performance standards that will require net zero carbon performance by a particular time period. New York, I think, is two, 2040. But um, these are these are happening across the United States, right? Mm-hmm. So for any developer building within these jurisdictions where there might even be a hint of this going on, you know, they're already building in a performance based on how they've designed and and how they're constructing the building that will impact on value in the longer term. Because any investor at this point, you know, one will be looking at what their, even if their hold period is only 10 years, let's say, they're going to be looking at that and saying, okay, what I'm buying now, what is that going to be worth when I, when I sell in 10 years? What is the liability that I'm building into that? What work will I have to put into it in the meantime? So we're kind of approaching this period where this is really about protecting the value of that building as much as adding value. And I think that's one of the biggest issues we've seen with sustainability, particularly in the U.S., is that this has been about, you know, a niche kind of approach. It's been an amenity, not a business case. And Mm -hmm. that will not get us very far because only so many people will want to pay, you know, the greenium, only so many people (laughs) will pay extra rent. And when we put it in those terms, this stops being so much about the asset value overall. It it becomes more of an extractive, right? And that kind of ends. I mean, we've seen that in many urban core centers now where certification of any kind is just an expectation. Is that now adding to rent? I question that because I would say, (laughs) actually, if everybody's certified, then who cares? It's no longer a differentiator. It's now an expectation. And so you simply actually start getting the discount if you aren't. They'll basically command lower rents simply for that. So, you know, in this way, sustainability has really been, you know, moving towards the business case that goes with it. And I think, I mean, I I only welcome that because for one thing, we've been making this case forever, but also it needs to be absolutely integrated in in everything that we're doing. If we keep treating it like an amenity, you know, we're never going to get there. Um, This has to be about all buildings because that's what the challenge is. We need every building to be doing this. That's a big challenge. It is. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. It keeps me up at night. I have to say, you know, there's a lot of buildings. There's like what? 5.3 million existing buildings in the United States. Most of which are doing very little to address this issue so far. But that's been why I'm here. Why BRE is here why the US is just, you know, an exciting place to be because for us, Briam is all about being able to take those buildings wherever they are and giving them an opportunity to start moving forward. Interesting. Interesting. So, you know, we've been talking about the economics of this attempt at net zero and what this means for, you know, developers or um, really anybody 
that's that's trying to construct a building but what you know what is the top strategy that you've seen for achieving net zero uh or or attempting to meet net zero carbon emissions in construction sure so two probably the top two things um first is focus on building efficiency uh, Briam is very much a um, you know an envelope first is how we talk, talk about it. You know, envelope is you know, and building efficiency is absolutely critical. If you don't get that right, it does not matter how much on-site energy <laughs> or how much how how many offsets you buy. Really, okay. you've got a poorly performing building. So for us, it's really critical um, that the the building envelope and systems are focused on first and um, you know not only does this make the building more valuable from a longer perspective you know fewer problems less damage let's say uh you know during rainstorms or something you know there's there's other benefits that really come from that but in the bigger picture around net zero carbon um you know buildings that are energy efficient um, and super energy efficient, more importantly, you know, will simply demand less from the grid. And mm. we know that, you know, we need to reduce our demand um, in order for us to meet uh, the renewable energy uh, uh, that we can generate at this point through grid. So that's really critical. Um, and our program is very much about rewarding that first. Uh, supporting that. So I think for con designing construction, you know, I mean, we can talk about it from a green perspective and we do, I mean, we, we look at, um, we award credits based on um, uh, what the, how the design will deliver operational carbon emissions uh, predicted. But um, the really big thing about that is that that's also about delivering a really valuable building, right? It again, provides that financial benefit, well-constructed, et cetera. So building efficiency is, is really core and everybody can benefit from that, even if it's not the life cycle that you're holding on to the asset through. Um, mm -hmm. And the second thing is the on-site renewable energy generation. Um, you know, this has very much been seen in a carbon context, but obviously as resilience comes in, this is, becomes a lot bigger. So I live sure. in California, you know, our, our utility PG&E is having to shut off the, uh, the electricity to counter the wildfire risk. How mm -hmm. fun is this? Thanks, climate change. Um, and pat on the back to all of us. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, this is this has been really, you know, really critical um, because there's the risk there. So on-site renewable, though, builds resilience in the building. Now, this mm -hmm. is really critical. Um, you know, there are some, obviously, you know, how long can you deal with the disruption? Um, and in some sectors and, and some uses, I suppose you could deal with some. But what if we're talking about logistics and manufacturing, for example, um, you can't just switch off the lights or, you know, switch off all your energy and just kind of walk away and go, oh, there goes business. You know, I mean, these have real <laughs> economic impact. Um, and so, you know, or medical offices, for example, right. you know, we talk a lot about resilience in hospitals as critical mm -hmm. infrastructure. But when we're talking about our economy overall and how energy um, really underpins everything that we do, it's really important to start looking at all of it as kind of important pieces. Critical, okay, I could definitely go with hospitals and things like that as, <laughs> as critical. But when we're talking about our wider economy and we're talking about the transition um, and really the, the impacts that we're starting to see from climate change, on-site renewable energy generation really brings multiple benefits into the building. And Lord knows we have a lot of, a lot of land, right? I mean, how many times have you flown into places, you know, and you're flying over 
acres of parking that's baking in the sun. <laughs> and, you know, I, my favorite example is, you know, when I flew into Dallas the last time, oh, dear. <laughs> things like ages ago, but you know, there's acres of parking and I'm just like, and didn't I just see something in the news about Texas cookies where you can bake cookies in your car up till lunch <laughs> or something, you know, where it gets so hot, right. Where your car right. is, you know, so why not put solar PV? Why not put something that all, you know, also protects the cars underneath is better for human beings you know, generates energy on site. Like, why not? Why aren't we doing this in all the places that we can? So Briam is very much about encouraging that aspect, whether it's your roof space, your parking lots, whatever it is, do what you can to generate on site, to build resilience into your asset. And also we've seen this with neighborhoods too, is that, you know, if you can, um, you know, we're seeing a lot more now, um, not so much through Briam, but just through the conversations about building up you know, districts where you have energy generation, where you can start to get neighborhoods going in. Right. You know, how exciting would it be if we, you know, we had neighborhoods where after, you know, a natural, you know, a natural event, a crisis, you know, a hurricane or something where, you know, our commercial buildings are helping power homes to keep things going, you know, to, you know, providing a critical resource. Um, it's one of the things we've also built into Briam about how um, encouraging commercial buildings to connect into their neighborhoods on a resilience aspect. But this could mm-hmm. be one of those things too. Buildings, you know, these are the same place where people live. You know, they're not distinct anymore. And so if we can kind of work together, not, not make this separation. Our resilience as a community can be built as well as resilience and protection of the asset. Um, we've seen some good research come out, um, you know, particularly around um, the events where, you know, in the past, insurance has been used to try and protect asset value. But the things that insurance doesn't protect, for example, are when your local economy doesn't come back. Okay, so this is a great way of being able to build that resilience into your community so that the asset continues to be remain viable. Yeah, it's just thinking about commercial buildings as part of the community fabric. They're not different. They're not separate. They, you know, they're, they're part of where we live and, and they're part of our, our everyday existence. And wouldn't that be great if commercial buildings, you know, supported the communities through this, you know, through resilience, we see this now, um, you know, with, um, with buildings kind of offering up a place of refuge, for example, um, you know, in an event, what, what does that look like? Briam does support that um, because we want the, we want buildings to, connecting with their communities because that bolsters community resilience. And in turn, that protects value of those assets. If you don't mm-hmm. have a local economy after some kind of an event, a hurricane, an earthquake, whatever, your building is going to be damaged over the long term in a way that insurance is never going to cover. So really critical that these things come together. Um, so those would be the two, the two really key things I would say to work on at this point. Um, and then, you know, the other, the other stuff will come later i think (laughs) (laughs) yeah no and i wanted to while we were talking about it you know we jumped into this this topic by mentioning net zero carbon emissions and i i think it would be best to go ahead and and mention what that really means before you know net zero carbon emissions is not the same as not emitting any carbon emissions uh (laughs) Wow, how much time do we have to talk about this? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I just, in a nutshell, can you just describe what that that truly means? Sure. Yeah, net zero is not the same as zero, 
And there are many, currently, many definitions going on around what that means mm-hmm. um, and, and what, what's included. So, um, and some of these are, you know, the finer points of what, what do we include? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, under that definition, is it simply energy use that feeds into that? Is it um, indirect energy? So from water, for example, refrigerants, uh, that's another big topic. Um, you know, how do you calculate it? Um, mm-hmm. and, and many, many definitions right now are focusing solely on energy use. Refrigerants are not part of the question, even though they have a huge impact. Uh, fugitive emissions, massive, if they're not managed properly, um, can cause a huge amount of damage. It's, it's all about, you know, what are you, um, you know, generating, how much are you generating? How much are you putting in through renewables, um, through zero carbon? So that is a big, a big aspect of, you know, what counts. Are we saying zero, meaning you're not generating any emissions? Or are you saying um, that you can offset that? And what does that offset look like? And there's a lot of different options available for that. So, you know, um, it can be offsite renewable energy purchasing through power purchasing agreements uh, for energy that's being generated elsewhere. There's a lot of conversation about that. Does it need to be in the same grid? Is it okay to purchase it from a different state, a place where maybe the, the, um, you know, the grid in that location is actually potentially dirtier than the, than the grid that you're (laughs) actually operating in. So is that a bigger impact? And it's really interesting to see the, the conversation going on about this, because I think we're all driving to the same thing, right? What we want to do is we want to make the biggest impact we possibly can with the decisions and the tools that we have available. And we know, for example, that, you know, urban core buildings are not going to have the opportunity to put on on on-site generation in the way that a suburban or a rural building would, right? So what Mm -hmm. are we going to do about those, those um, assets? But also we're looking at the, at the, the side of offsets, um, which you know, a lot of companies have already declared themselves to be net zero because of the basis of the offsets they've purchased. That does not mean they are not emitting carbon. <laughs> right. And while that strategy works now, we also know there are not enough offsets available in the entire world. To, to, offset. to, <laughs> to <laughs> offset, that's right. So, that's why we're in the... the... The uh, shape we're in right now, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's it's not it's not possible. And actually, in some ways, I I think some ways that masks the risk. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're hiding the risk of our inefficiencies um, of our assets and our and our real estate, and in effect, hiding the risk that is, um, you know, that is present. And I and I feel like we're we're more to a point now where investors in particular are asking very pointed questions. You know, the investors that we talk to globally, for them, offsets is just a non-starter. They want to know about the assets themselves, their performance. They want to know about, with, without any of that stuff, what is the trajectory? How are you getting to net zero carbon without offsets? Now, offsets will have a place to play. I think we, we've, we've, got, we've got some space. We need, we need that <laughs> to happen. But we shouldn't sacrifice focusing on building efficiency and on-site renewables, right? There's a tiered approach, a prioritization. And offset should be absolutely at the end, you know? And we, we really, um, you know, through Briam, you know, we wouldn't be looking at offsets in that way, or we, we wouldn't advise looking at offsets in that way 
not until you've exhausted everything else. And really when we're talking about net zero carbon and, and that designation, we should really, I mean, we, the royal we, right? Uh, you, know, real, you know, for any owner should be able to demonstrate that all the other things were done first. How, is, how have they focused on building efficiency? Have they maximized on-site renewables? All those other things first before they start talking about offsets. We have so much still to go. I mean, mm -hmm. I kind of look at it like, you know, with the, the conversation around carbon capture, I think there's a fair number of people who are like crossing their fingers, <laughs> hoping that it all pans out. And I'm like, I am not willing to risk humanity for the maybe when we've got <laughs> demonstrated, we have full view about what we can do. Um, I love Project Drawdown because I think they've really managed to quantify where, um, you know, where the big picture items can be, you know, the really big impact and what the economic impact could be from that. That's really powerful. We can solve the majority of the problem. Let's not focus on the hope of the, you know, the tiny, you know, 20% of the issue when we've got all the skills, we've got the knowledge of everything we need to do to solve most of the problem now. We just have to do it. Yeah, carbon capture seems pretty nice, but uh, <laughs> we're still a little ways away <laughs> from well, I'm, I'm really large excited. scale. Oh yeah. yeah, I'm really excited yeah. by the projects. You know, there's been some really great projects going on in Iceland, you know, that are, I mean, yeah, from a nerdy perspective, like we're all a flutter <laughs> about it, but that's not going to solve the problem today. Right. And, and again, just like the issue around, um, you know, making uh, buildings super efficient, you know, we can't really can we do carbon capture to, to solve the entire problem as it is right now with no further action? No. So we right. need to do all the things, right? Can't focus on just one. We need to be doing everything at once, which of course, you know, is that's difficult, right? It seems like there's a lot there, but focusing on the things that we know reduce carbon emissions, focusing um, today and then keeping our eye on that. It's going to be necessary. I mean, we, we do need it, but it's just, there's still so much we can do today to fix the problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I do like, you know, coming back a little bit to the original discussion of, of you know, bang for your buck. I, I love the point about, you know, localized, basically, energy sources instead of relying on the grid. I don't know if you've read The Grid by Gretchen. I think I'm going to screw up her last name, Baki, maybe. No, I haven't heard um, <laughs> But it, it's, it talks about the history of of the electrical grid and it's it's so interesting and at the same time frightening uh to see you know what all of our economy is based off of a, a grid that was built so long ago and is very fragile yes. and, and, we, and you've seen it you know you've seen the issues already yeah. so just you know to even look you know, 20 years in the future, we're, we're going to be having even worse problems. And yeah. um, it, it was kind of foreshadowed. I mean, the book, I don't remember when it was written. It's, it's not, uh, it's not too old, but it still foreshadows these events that are coming up. And it, so yeah, some of that can be, a lot of that could be addressed with uh, what you're saying is, is by providing local sources and well, we have to remember that all of our infrastructure systems were predicated on an environment that existed, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, with the understanding of a really stable environment. We're now facing a situation where 
those conditions are changing and our systems aren't, were designed with those in mind. I mean, again, I, you know, I live in California, you know, we talk about water, all of our water systems, you know, and our, the way that we deliver water to, you know, our agriculture and to our cities is completely predicated on a particular level of, you know, of snow and snowpack and, and melting cycle, which is, been demonstrably challenged for 10 years at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're in a 10 year mega drought and, and that's not going to get any better. So when we're looking at all of our systems, you know, there's definitely, these are big changes, right? They're macro changes. It's not just these smaller pieces, but I think again, when we're, we're going to have to make changes. Okay. I think we can all agree on that. Right. I don't think anybody's disputing that the, the nature of it, what it's going to look like, there's a lot of different discussions. In the end, we have to do two things. One is we have to prioritize um, delivery, uh, particularly around energy, because that is what keeps our economy going. It's what protects the health and well-being of our, our of our communities. You know, through heat events, through through freezing events. You know, that mm-hmm. energy is what keeps us going and allows us to survive and, and thrive in those those circumstances. So it becomes all the more important. Um, and we need to think about the strategies that, that will help deliver that. Um, you know, it's big questions, but I think if we, if we all come at this from, you know, the agreement that we're all, we're all trying to go for the same thing here. We're trying to mm-hmm. ensure that not only do we survive, but we thrive. Um, and, and that, you know, everybody is brought with that, you know, that, you know, let's not build in the inequities of, of our previous system into the new one. If we do this in a thoughtful way, we still have time to transition really to the, the world that we want to see, you know, mm-hmm. where, where our indoor environments are, you know, are safe from pollutants um, and our energy is clean and doesn't, you know, that generation doesn't damage the health of our communities and children. Um, I think we can, we can all agree on those things. Um, and then, you know, just kind of taking a deep breath and saying, okay, let's do this. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> My Let's overall it. hope for humanity. Sorry, that was a bit. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's that's great. And we'll, t- we'll touch on that here in a little bit, I think. Right. But uh, what, what's the biggest area in sustainable construction or, or, or development as a whole that you're curious about and why? I think embodied carbon, um, you know, it's, it's really lit up my, my sort of intellectual brain because the, the challenge of trying to quantify, I mean, we've seen this already for, for many years in supply chain generally, and it has always been so hard, right? So many moving parts, like there are many, (laughs) there, yeah, in my, in my world, in my previous world of trying to deal with supply chains, I'm always like, oh, I wish we were vertically integrated so that everything was under one roof. We just did it. But it's the nature of our economy, right? We have multiple supply chains. When we do design and construction, we have, you know, multiple subcontractors, all of which are like herding cats to try and get them to the same goal. If it's not built into, you know, your contracts, how do you enforce it? You know? And so there's a lot of, you know, we're seeing in sustainable construction, there's, there's a lot of, groundwork that has to be laid carefully step by step. And if you miss one of those, it can leave kind of a big hole. So one of the things I think around embodied carbon that's so exciting is that, um, you know, one is obviously quantifying materials. You know, how are we measuring the carbon footprint essentially of building materials? Which ones matter? Um, for Briam, we, we always focus on the, you know, looking at the, the, the materials that make up 
the biggest proportion of the building. You know, we're not, we're not interested in, you know, a swatch here and a, and a bit there. It's like the concrete, it's steel, mm-hmm. it's, you know, and these are, because these are really big impact items. Um, and I think there's been some great headway made um, with tools to start bringing that transparency to light. Um, you know, and I mean, I'm always interested because I'm a bit, you know, down in the details. So the nerdiness of like, how do you quantify it? What metrics do you use? You know, I, I, we can, we can tend to lose the impact of saying it doesn't need to be perfect because right now it just needs to be better than what we're doing. So let's not get overly, (laughs) overly focused on that because it'll get better over time. Um, And we're seeing so many products coming through, but, but also making sure that we're, you know, we've got the broadest amount of product. How do we make that, um, you know, available and, and looking at, at how that drives decision-making. Um, and then the second thing I think in construction on the con- actual construction side is the idea that we measure and manage impacts on construction sites. So many, many states already have um, like site waste management plan requirements for construction, mm-hmm. right? And because that makes a lot of sense because you're, most many landfills, that's what they're getting is construction waste. But we're also talking about the energy that it takes to run that site, all the electricity to power tools, to, you know, power the, um, you know, the site manager cabins, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and also water and all and transportation emissions. Where is all this stuff coming from? And this is a really exciting space because when we're talking about embodied carbon, we're talking about construction products and we're talking about processes. And I'm not sure we're really at that place where we're ready to do that across every construction site or even Mm -hmm. the big ones for that matter. So this is going to be a real sea change for the Mm -hmm. construction industry in particular, you know, and, and that's, that's going to take a lot to, to think about how we do things. Um, We've got some great examples. I mean, we've got some global leaders who work here. So Skenska is one of those. Full disclosure, I used to work for them, so I love them. <laughs> yeah. uh, I worked in their infrastructure development side, so on the on the financing side, not on the construction side, but it's approaches like that where being innovative and looking at those longer term impacts, um, you know, it's about talking about how we can make that change. I mean, I worked for Skenska in what, 2007, and we were talking about embodied carbon then. I mean, that was, and, and the early part of my career kind of, blew my mind. And I was like, <laughs> wow, okay. But, you know, we've only right. recently heard that talking about, but I think from mm-hmm. a construction standpoint, you know, that's, that's a tough one, right? We've got a lot of pressures on the construction environment right now. One of the big things is around labor. Where do we mm-hmm. find skilled labor, right? This is a great way, I think, to pull in others who maybe wouldn't have considered the construction sector as, right. you know, part of it, because this is something that they're, they're contributing to. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're working on sustainability. They're looking at, you know, the impacts and they're actually looking at this as a way of, of supporting their communities, you know, not just in building yeah. a building, but what does this mean? So, you know, I think there's some opportunities there that are going to be really exciting. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think the construction industry is one of the hardest to change. Yes. Uh, it's the most uh, set in its ways of, pretty much any industry that's in the u.s it seems like other than oil and gas maybe but uh you know it's it's uh pretty well set in its ways and i think it's ripe for some disruption and uh it just takes having those new thoughts and maybe some uh, new blood in the system that might help to push some things along 
Well, I will say, you know, as a big hug out to the U.S. construction industry, this is not unique to the United States. I mean, <laughs> right. all over the world, and this is this is very common. You know, mm-hmm. in in you know, uh, the, you know, there's always a conversation in many other places. You know, about you know, productivity has not improved over time. You know, all these wonky words that go with it, but these are things that um, are quite common across the industries. And mm-hmm. what we're hoping to do as part of just Briam overall is bring in that conversation to say how can how can this be utilized by the construction industry to really catapult them, you know, into the right position. So again, not so much a niche thing, but how do you navigate this? You know, if you're a if you're a you know a construction company, your client comes to you and says, oh, and I want you to do X, Y, and Z, and you're just sitting there going, what the hell is that? Right? <laughs> like we're here for you. We got right. you. You know, <laughs> because we we want to provide a way to upskill um, right. everybody, and it and it doesn't mean necessarily becoming you know the know all and and all about embodied carbon, right? It's more just about you know how do how does this impact what I'm doing? How can I make this better? How can I help ensure that we, you know, stick to uh, the rules and regulations that we have to follow? But how can we just do better with this? And and that I think the heads up with the, um, you know, from investors is really that in the development, we're seeing green finance, for example, already starting to make the changes about what they will finance and what they won't. Um, mm. Not so much what they won't, but just what they give preferential terms to. You know, that's already starting to make the changes. So you know, the construction industry is going to have this heading their way. As with anything, I think the sooner you get out in front of it, the better it is. Mm-hmm. Well, that's probably what they're thinking about at night. But what what about you? What keeps you up at night right now in your current position? Um, scalability, the scale yeah. of the challenge. Yeah, you know, we work with um, investors from all over the world with thousands of assets, and it can be really daunting to think about that kind of scale, about understanding you know, how, how do I go from the conversation of, you know, we, we understand the concept, we get that we need to transition our portfolio of, I don't know, 8,000 buildings to net zero carbon in less than 30 years. It becomes a huge piece or puzzle of how do I make it move from there? And I think that's one of the most exciting things about that is like, if we wait too long for perfection, if we wait too long to come up with the solution before acting, we might miss the mark. Mm-hmm. And as I said, you know, we've got the things in place, right? We simply need to get started. So I think for me, it's, it's all about, you know, the paralysis of, uh, you know, a, a, at this moment of, of understanding the scale. And we really risk that. And so, you know, when I talk to any of our, you know, potential clients, our investors, I say, start small. First step do five buildings, then do 10, then do 20 and keep scaling that and set yourself realistic targets. One of the things that concerns me is, is whether or not we're seeing, you know, the full transparency of what the impact of these commitments are going to be. And I think, you know, when we're talking about, you know, existing buildings in particular, you know, we're, we're going to need deep retrofits to move towards net zero carbon. Um, and I think, I mean, there's been plenty of research on this. It's not, I don't think it's quite a secret, but I wonder how much everybody sees it in that context. Maybe they do and they're just not saying it. And that's why there's <laughs> sometimes crickets out there. Yeah. But what I would encourage is that transparency. I think the, the understanding of the scale of the problem helps others outside 
understand the complexity, right? It's not like snapping your fingers and we're just all going to be net zero. This is going to take time. This is going to take investment and money and a thoughtful, methodical way. And we can all learn from each other. There's no, you know, there's no perfect route here. Every organization is going to have to go down their own way. And I really, you know, I really love hearing from different organizations trying different things. They're not always successful. That is okay too, because the learning that comes out of it, we still have space and time. My worry is that we'll get to 2040 and be not very far from where we are now and wringing our hands. I mean, if anything, you know, the, the pandemic's been this really interesting kind of time, I think, because what it really showed is that we can do anything, right? We can change our entire economy. We can upend it. Everything that everybody thought was concrete and immutable, like just went, whoosh, up, you know, and it's gone, right? It, and what it showed us is that we can act when we need to, right. but the, the pain of that on our communities, on our politics, on our, on our economics is so big. We do mm-hmm. not want to wait that long. So mm-hmm. from this, from the pandemic lesson, I, you know, I say like, we have to learn this lesson. If we don't learn this lesson now, we really risk something much more catastrophic and we can avoid it. This is all avoidable. We just have to do it. Right. It's, it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful now. Um, but it'll be less painful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Painful now, excruciating later. If we don't do it right, like let's take painful now. (laughs) And that's so hard for human beings. So um, it's, it's, it's a whole change of mindset and that, that requires a lot of effort. So it does, uh, you know, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, but the pandemic I think was a real lesson learned that we can make that change. Mm -hmm. Like never underestimate human beings, the ability to adapt. I think we're, you know, as a species, you know, we aren't in the position we're in also the bad parts, but the good parts too, (laughs) because we didn't adapt to our circumstances. So, you know, it, and this really becomes a, a community effort. And I think if we, you know, take that really, you know, use that lesson, um, we can, we can make it happen. Right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the pandemic's really, uh, painted several, several lessons for people. Um, and and we're still, we're still dealing with that now, but, um, and and it's been an interesting time to talk to others in this profession that are are dealing with the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but going forward, let's, let's kind of look in the future here. What, would you like if I if I Wikipedia or Google your name or, or BRE or Briam in the future? I know those are all three different uh, three different entities, but I guess we'll start off with you, and then maybe let's look at Briam as a whole or the BRE as a whole. And um, what what would you like for it to say about you uh, as far as your legacy is concerned? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love it. I yeah. love question, but I know it's not easy. It's no, not I, easy. I, I think um, for me personally, it, it's that the impact was made, that the, the outcome was improved, that it was better. I, you know, for me personally, leaving the world better than when I found it, uh, better than when it was handed to me, um, and also better for my children and my grandchildren eventually. What a scary thought that is, but, um, you know, that, 
that's the biggest piece is that, you know, we, we leave it in a better place. Um, I think for BRE, it's also uh, that, that thinking, you know, it's it, working for a, a 100 year old organization. We have a long time horizon, right. you know, 30 to 50 years. We're like, okay, we can deal with that, you know, and, and we yeah. move towards that. And I think that that is also the, um, you know, our, our goal is to support a thriving, sustainable world and helping move towards that whether that's innovation standards, whatever the case may be. And for BRE, it will be the satisfaction that the the next hundred years are as impactful, if not more so Mm -hmm. than the first hundred. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, even in the next 30, we we recognize that you're like for Briam, for example, the first 30 years were really important. The next 30 are critical. And I think, and I think for, um, for Briam then transitioning into that one, it will also be that we helped all buildings, the entire built in environment, make that goal through, through our standards, helping, helping understand where they are now, how they need to get there and actually making it happen. That is our goal. And I think if, if uh, you know, from an impact perspective, again, if we can make, um, you know, much more impact in the next 30 years, that will be critical. You know, we recognize that you know, Briam has what 594,000 plus certificate certificates issued in 88 countries around the world. Right. It's, it's by footprint, like a number of certificates is the biggest, and that's a huge impact, but we recognize that that is a drop in the ocean (laughs) overall. And that, and if if you looked at every certification body that ever issued, same deal. Right. And so it's small. So we need that next step. It needs to grow and scale. And we're really looking at, for Briam, how do you scale this? How do you transition it from being seen as this niche to being mm-hmm. all in? And um, you know, our program has really shifted in the last couple of years to make that possible. Um, and we work with a lot of global um, organizations now who are looking at this, this problem at scale. Um, so you know, when, by the time we get to 2050, that will be the thing. You know, what, how impactful were we? Um, and if, if the... Uh, if the history books show that you know we we managed to make a huge difference um, for many more buildings, so many more, fifty percent, maybe that's too ambitious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have big ambitions here, Brian. Goals. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Gotta have goals. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, we would love to see every building with using a sustainability framework certification. You know, we offer that as a service where there's value for doing so. We would always say there is, but it's even more important that every building is looking through their operations, looking through um, through a sustainability lens at their operations mm-hmm. and saying, how are we performing? Um, you know, and we make our standard fully available at no cost. Anybody can dive into it and have a look, you know? So um, we're hoping to help, you know, kind of get that thinking forward on that, that framework. Those are lofty goals. I like it. We're ambitious. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> well, like you mentioned, yeah, the last... The last 30 years were important, but, uh, you know, based on all we've seen, the next 30 are going to be crucial, <laughs> like you said. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you guys have a lot of work ahead of you. Yeah, and we're looking forward to the challenge for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to give you a little time here just to tell us where we can find out a little bit more about you, Brianna, and also BRE and Briam, uh, and, and just kind of let us know where we can find out a little bit more. Great. Well, um, you can go to our website, uh, which is www.briam.com forward slash USA. 
uh, and Bream spelled B-R-E-E-A-M. Um, and you can find out more about our programs. We have a lot of resources on there to explain, you know, our family of standards um, and also um, the detail, as I mentioned, you know, we make our, our full technical standards available at no cost. So all the information is there. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to reach out and connect um, uh, on that. And um, we also have uh, for BRE Group as a whole, it's bregroup.com. Um, we do a lot of different things. Brianna is probably the thing we're most famous for, but um, we work around the world in all sorts of different areas. So there's a lot of different um, aspects that people might find interesting. Um, and also, uh, you know, we, uh, we're, I mentioned that we're headquartered in the UK. Um, we have an innovation park um, there where we uh, build and test technologies. Um, oh, wow. And we offer a really great tour um, in the pre-pandemic times, I must say. Oh, uh, man. You know, <laughs> yeah, we're still shut down a little bit. Uh, but okay. you know, if, if um, anybody finds themselves in the UK uh, and is interested in the nerdy building science stuff, yeah. um, we got you. Uh, so, you know, feel free, feel free to reach out um, and we can see about connecting you for those things. But yeah, we do some some really amazing stuff uh, there, which again, you know, for building science nerds, and, and I say that in a loving way, come, right. come hang out with us. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. I, I, I'm overdue for a trip. So yeah, yeah that, that'll be awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, I want to thank you again for all your time, Brianna. This was, this was a great conversation. I loved hearing your thoughts on where we're at and where we're going with the uh, sustainability and i wish you all the all the best on your journey thank you matt it's been my pleasure really appreciate it 